welcome everyone to episode 13 of the Citizen's Guide. Uh, on this week's episode, Connor and I are going to give our thoughts about the final presidential debate of the 2020 cycle. Uh, we're going to look at some new favorability numbers for both Trump and Biden. Uh, we're going to look at the early, early voting turnout numbers in some key states for this election. Then we're going to look at some campaign activities over the next nine days that uh, Trump and Biden will be engaged in. Then we'll uh, give our thoughts on an interview that the White House Chief of Staff uh, did this morning. And then we will wrap up with some news about Pope Francis and then uh, look at Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's race up in New York. There's some interesting stuff happening there. So Connor, first thing, well, before we get to that, this is our second to last episode before election day, which is nerve wracking, exciting. We've come a long way since August when we started Se all this. Second to last episode, depending on how November 3rd goes. Yeah. Hey, we could, we could be having, uh, you know, election day episodes well into November, which man, oh man, does that sound exciting? Uh, no. Well, Connor, first thing, let's talk about the final debate. I don't know how many of our listeners got the chance to watch it. You and I watched it. It was interesting. It was different. Uh, what, what did you think? Um, I would say first impressions was it was more palatable to just listen to. But the second you actually watched and listened, then things start to fall apart. Um, so just to sort of in the context of the debate took place, 48 million people had already cast their ballots when the debate aired. Um, I was going to take some, some snapshots of the two topics I thought were most highlighted. Um, when asked about the pandemic, President Trump said it will go away. And as I say, we're rounding the turn, we're rounding the corner, it's going away. Um, then Biden says, says we're living, Trump says we're living to live with it. People are learning to die with it. Um, Trump says, excuse me, I take, I take full responsibility. It's not my fault that it came here. It's China's fault. So um, this was before or during record spikes in cases all across the country. Um, tone deaf, perhaps. On the border, President Trump said the children, the children's separation, by the way, the children are being brought here by coyotes and a lot of bad people, cartels, and they're brought here and they used to use them to get into our country. We now have a strong border as we've ever had. We're over 400 miles in brand new wall. You see the numbers, we let people in, but they come in, they have to come in legally. Trump said in terms of re reuniting these children with their families, Trump said his administration has a plan and we're working on it very, we're trying very hard. Biden responded 500 plus kids came with parents. They separated them at the border to make it a dis disincentive to come to begin with. We're tough, we're really strong. And guess what? They cannot, it's not coyotes didn't bring them over. Their parents were with them. They got separated from their parents. It makes us a laughing stock and violates every notion of who we are as a nation, Biden said. Their kids were ripped from their arms and separated, and now they cannot find over 500 sets of those parents, and those kids are alone. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. It's criminal. It's criminal. Um, your thoughts on that, on other parts of the debate? Yeah, I mean, you, you hit some good highlights. It's just so incredible that the, the Trump campaign and the administration have not figured out how to talk about coronavirus um, with so many Americans affected by it in a multitude of different ways. You would think that would be first on their priorities um, in terms of preparing for the debate. And it just obviously wasn't. Trump had these 
these things that he thought were going to land big hits on Biden, and none of it really worked. He kind of tried to portray Biden as this career politician, which Biden is. Like, his experience is why people want him to be president. Um, and it just doesn't work when you're sitting in the White House calling someone else kind of part of the swamp or whatever. Um, you know, the, the big narrative coming out of it, I think, was that, that the president was, you know, somewhat more subdued. He didn't interrupt so much. Uh, muting the mics for the first two minutes of each section helped. But I mean, I don't know. Trump will always be Trump. Uh, I think this was uh, Joe Biden's best debate performance, definitely of the 2020 cycle, including the primaries, and then probably of his career. I, I think I talked about this last episode, but Joe Biden, he knows what's at stake with this election. And, and he really showed that um, on the night of the election, so I, or not election, on the night of the debate, getting ahead of myself. Um, just a few things, um, some post-debate polls from uh, some reputable news sources showed that Joe Biden won the debate. Um, the president's Twitter poll showed otherwise, so you can pick who you trust more. Um, news organizations who have been polling for, for half a century or uh, Donald Trump's Twitter feed. Um, one thing that was really, that really, really stood out to me was when Joe Biden um, apologized or and, and kind of admitted that his work with the crime bill was imperfect and that Obama era immigration policy was again imperfect. And that's something that we just never see politicians do in this country is apologize for, for policy choices. And, and I just really appreciated that because I think that's, that's what people want to hear right now is someone taking responsibility uh, for their prior actions. And that's something that Donald Trump is fundamentally incapable of doing. Pierce, um, so he was, said, it was, my it was my responsibility, but it's not my fault. Right, it's, which he, that, those two statements cannot be true at the same time. They are diametrically <laughs> opposed. And so I, I, hope, I hope people really latch on to the idea that Joe Biden um, is someone who, who sees his own faults very clearly. And that, that just goes in line with who he is as a person. Um, I thought Kristen Welker from NBC did a phenomenal job moderating this debate. Uh, she kept the conversation moving. Um, she she pushed both candidates where they needed to be pushed. Um, I, I hope she moderates more debates in the future because she really, I think she really understood um, what she needed to do and she got it done. And I was, I was really excited to see that. Um, one interesting thing um, that Trump said was that he was the least racist person in the room. Um, you know, and that's just hard when you've got Kristen Welker sitting right in front of you. I, I would, I would, you know. And some established, or some, some reputable Tennessee state senators were in the room as well who have oh, done great work. Right, right. No, it just, that was such a stupid thing for the president to say. And he just says it so much that it just, we become dull to it. But we should, we should all recognize that Donald Trump is not the least racist person in probably any room he's ever been in, you know. And well, once is, you get all the, once it's a Trump Thanksgiving, it's a real hard. hard uh, yeah, push. that's a, yeah, that's a nightmare for me. Or may, maybe him meeting with, you know, Republican leadership in Congress, and then it's just a horse race of who's the, who's the most racist. Uh, anyway, I, you know, the final debate, I, I don't think anyone who was watching that, I don't think anybody went into the debate supporting Joe Biden and came out supporting Donald Trump. But I do think there are probably voters on the margin who went in supporting Trump, 
lightly or were maybe like always questioning that support who said, okay, I'm going to give Joe Biden a chance. I hope that's the case at least is I think Joe Biden really laid out a clear vision um, for what his administration would do in four years. And, and the president just has no second term, uh, second term plan um, other than I think to go to Mars and to the moon, which sounds great. Like I'm all in favor of that, but Gee whiz, let, let us go back to school first. I'd you like know, to let, go back to Rhodes before I'd like to leave my house before astronauts get to go from Florida to Mars. That just, that just should be the level of priority, I think. Uh, I just, one thing I saw, the last thing I want to say on this, is that in the media sort of coverage, we saw people taking this stance that it was, it was more presidential of a debate and I would just like to push back on that because just because Donald Trump spoke more slowly and did more not quietly as well, quietly didn't interrupt as much. The things he said, the, 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 the ideas he, he had and just none of it was presidential. None of his policies. I couldn't, couldn't point me to a policy besides, I don't know. I don't know. There wasn't. There wasn't, there wasn't anything substantive. There wasn't anything. There wasn't anything, but he was able to talk more slowly. And so that gave some people the benefit of a doubt that, hey, this is the moment he might have become president. <laughs> right. And I just uh, push back on that. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I think if you just listened to the tone and forgot to listen to the words and the meaning behind the words, it's easy to say they both did a good job, whatever. But but yeah, I mean, the president's uh, policy platform is is built on hatred um, and exclusivity. He wants a, an America uh, built for people like him, and he he is incredibly frightened by the by the idea of of the democratic platform. It, it's he views it as such a threat to himself um, that he projects that uh, onto the American people, and I, I just think people are going to see right through it. Um, and see him for what he is. And he, he, he's a fraud. It just, if four years have taught us anything, it's that the president is not who he says he is. He's not some savior of the American working class. It's such a, such a joke. And he um, thought he landed that when he talked about how Joe Biden was going to move away from oil subsidies, oil and gas subsidies. Right. He where, was like, are you listening, Texas? Are you listening, Ohio? Yeah, which a, a vast majority of voters are in favor of moving away from oil um, and other fossil fuels. And Joe Biden didn't say, you know, tomorrow, no one's going to be able to put gas in their car. That's not the, that's not the policy. The policy is a, is a gradual transition towards cheaper green energy so that we can truly be energy independent um, and rely say, on solar and solar and wind. You're able to say those things when you're not indebted to the Koch brothers. That's right. That's right. Because Joe Biden's campaign is powered by by small donors and Trump's campaign is financed by the fossil fuel industry. Um, and a casino and owner. And a casino owner. That's right. That's right. He, his donors, um, not many of them, but boy, do they have interesting jobs. Um, okay. This is, this is a good segue into the popularity of both candidates that I wanted to talk about. According to an ABC Ipsos poll taken after the debate, the president has a negative 22 net favorability, where Biden has a plus one net favorability, um, which is very, very good for Biden. Those numbers are horrible for Donald Trump. And, and what that means basically is that Biden only has to win 
um, voters who have a favorable view of him. The president, on the other hand, has to win a vast number of votes um, from people who do not like him. What, what do you think about that, Connor? What a question to you. You don't think people got the Mercedes slap hit on this is a, a, a Mr. Rogers sort of candidacy? Yeah. Yeah, they you think that worked out. <laughs> not as as expected. Most Americans actually hate Mr. Rogers. They they just really would hate to not wake up every day and be just in fear for their country. Yeah, shockingly enough. No, I think I think it's really surprising because he's gotten more popular since he's won the primary, which you don't see for for candidates often really at all. And normally the incumbent has the benefit of a doubt of being favorable um good good news for biden i again as i say often wouldn't want to be trump in this situation it's no not good for him and i think i think it's tangible i think despite what you hear from don jr on his twitter feed about the enthusiasm gap if you pay attention to that i think which i don't and and it shows it shows (laughs) um i think you, you have people who who are excited not only to vote against Donald Trump, but to vote for someone who isn't Donald Trump. Like, does that make sense? It's not only vote against Donald Trump, but it's a vote for someone who represents everything Donald Trump is not. No, you're right. And this is such a contrast. I don't have the precise numbers in front of me, but in 2016, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were both viewed deeply unfavorably by um, the vast majority of voters. And so what it came down to was that people um, in, in certain states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, um, seem to dislike Trump less than they disliked Clinton. And that's what carried him. He didn't win because he was, had a positive favorability. And I know it's, um, anecd- I know it's anecdotal, but during the DNC, um, they, hi- they did this video of this kid who worked through his stutter and he met Joe Biden, and Joe Biden helped him through it. And if you just take a second and think about it and ask yourself, would Donald Trump do that? The answer is no. Like the bar was set high for him and he met that expectation by making fun of a disabled reporter. I don't even remember. Was it before he was president? Was it on I think the campaign it was trail? Way before. It was towards the beginning of So like the that's where he's starting off. You don't see him stopping to help someone because that's not who he is. It's not and who I he think, is. And I think that's why people are voting for him because Joe Biden wants to help people. Simple, simple. And he'll do it. And he just because he's a nice person. Yeah. No, that's such, that's such a, that anecdote I think is really fitting. And I think is especially attractive to, to I guess, politicize the moment, attractive yeah. to like the suburban women that have fled the Republican Party. I think I think that group of voters is particularly uh, responsive to uh, stories about Joe Biden like that. And that's not an isolated event. Joe Biden is genuinely a nice person, like according to every like report ever from anyone. Uh, Whereas Donald Trump gifted so much money by his father could have, could have developed a reputation in this country of like philanthropist rich guy. And instead he, he did not. He did, he did the opposite. People hate him. And, and he, just, do you, he just shoots himself in the foot. And he has done so since way before he was president. And he, just people in this country don't trust him. You don't see anyone. I hope you don't see any mothers or like fathers or parental figures telling their children, like, 
this is what a president should be like let's be more like the president yeah i think it's a nice like i think you don't have a nice thought you don't have a president who inspires people to do good things yeah well i i hope that's the case um but i know it's not um just because because and i think this could turn into a a much larger discussion about the effect of like toxic masculinity inherent in donald trump as a human being and how he presents this like this i don't know such a showy version of what it means to be a man in this country and and it's just it's so toxic for people to see that especially young men um especially young boys who 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 are just seeing that constantly and maybe even getting that from their parents as well um and so yeah i mean i i think parents have to make a decision of do they want their their sons and daughters to grow up in a country led by donald trump or a country led by joe biden and kamala harris Um, and kamala harris of course of course um and then all of this 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 these popularity numbers are are in a a a national environment where biden is up by an average of eight points in the national polls um so that's good um national polls aren't incredibly instructive in terms of who's going to win the electoral college but biden is maintaining a lead that hillary clinton did not have four years ago at this time her her national lead was was in free fall um today it's i think it's nine days before the election and things were things were turning a bit south for her campaign the wheels were Um, coming off the wagon the wheels were coming off the wagon the comey letter um had come out 11 days before that election uh i remember i it came out on my birthday um big happy birthday from james comey to me um but so so the it's just we're just in a different environment i know we've said this probably every podcast that we've ever recorded but this isn't 2016 like i i don't want us to lean entirely into believing the polls but i i don't want us to just have this like gut-wrenching anxiety um every single day about this because joe biden by all available measures is doing very well Uh, meanwhile donald trump seems to just be gassing his base in a way that in my analysis or view of it can't yield a victory (laughs) yeah anyway Um, (laughs) that's that's my very optimistic view of things as they are yeah changes day by day though it does it does yeah i you know had we recorded yesterday i probably would have said the exact opposite so um, consistency Um, well pumping that high let's go to (laughs) news coming out of texas um coming on the heels i don't want to spend too much time on this bowl but the Dallas Morning Star and the University of Texas showed that Joe Biden was leading President Trump 48 to 45 among likely voters. Um, uh, the survey was of 1,000 registered voters. 51% of independent voters said they supported Biden, while only 29% said they backed Trump. 69% of Hispanic voters indicated a preference for Biden. Um, this sort of follows in sort of like a pattern where Joe Biden has done better than expected in Texas polls, but it's a lead that's not, that's not solid. In general, but this also makes, makes this news a bit more important that Texas has had record voting turnout as of yesterday, I think 80% early voting Texas has reached 80% of its 2016 turnout, which is fantastic. Yeah. And that's, that's total turnout. Total, not yeah, just, total turnout. Not just early voting. Yeah. 
that's total 80 percent of total turnout and there's still like more than a week left voting. yeah there's a ton of time left so, and then what they think the democrats are doing is un, is tapping this 50 percent of registered voters in texas who have never voted or voted infrequently so huge untapped potential um in texas for democrats to do well and i just want to highlight also the work being done by beto o'rourke former senate candidate former vanity fair cover art <laughs> um he has put together this sort of like grassroots organizing called power by the people to connect these people and get them involved and get them to the polls which i think it's very good yeah do you have any thoughts? i totally agree i think beto has has done more for democratic politics than nearly any other um, 2020 candidate. Obviously, Joe Biden excluded. Obviously, a few more excluded. But you know, I don't. I don't see Tulsi Gabbard putting in the work in the swing states. You know, you she's know. too busy accusing know, Ilhan Omar like, of something. Yeah, accusing Hillary Clinton of of being. I don't even know. That's neither here nor there. Anyway, yeah, Connor, like you said, voter turnout in Texas is through the roof. I'm very thrilled about this. Texas has for a long time been kind of the white whale of the Democratic Party. Um, it's been a long time since they voted for a Democrat. 1976 uh, was the last time they voted for Jimmy uh, Carter. Wow. Um, so that is a long time ago. Um, and one thing to note about this data is that since voters in Texas don't register by party, it's really impossible to know. Um, if these gains are going to be for Democrats, but it's it's kind of the general consensus that high turnout elections yield positive results for Democrats. Um, and then a little bit of what's at stake in Texas. Uh, of course, there's 38 electoral votes, which is a massive number um, and could easily push Joe Biden um, past the 270 benchmark that he needs. There's a U.S. Senate seat where John Cornyn is up for re-election and his challenger, MJ Hagar, is... Um, Putting up a good challenge. I, I don't want to give a prediction on that race. And, I think giving it a good fight. In that poll, John Corrin had a slight lead. So there will be there will be Biden court uh, mm -hmm. Cornyn voters. That's that's very real and, and understandable. And mm -hmm. then there's also half a dozen House seats um, that are up for grabs. And then also control of the Texas State House, which could give Democrats um, a ton of leverage when it comes to redistricting in 2021. Um, so Texas is really um, kind of ground zero this year. I think, I think it, I think it could be big for Democrats. And the good news is, if Biden loses by a little bit in Texas, it's not the end of the world. Um, he doesn't need it. Like it, it, if it comes to it that Texas is the deciding state, then the data has been so off that none of us are going to be right about anything. Um, but so no, yeah, yeah, continue. Uh, no, you go ahead. I didn't have anything. Well, I just also want to include Julian Castro in that because he and Beto yes. have been pushing the Democratic Party to spend more to have Joe Biden um, campaign more frequently in Texas. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Again, this is trending positively for future electoral success right. for Democrats in Texas. This network that has been set up will reap dividends in future elections. Absolutely. The framework 
yeah, just registering more voters, activating more voters, getting, getting people involved at the local level. I'm sure, I don't have data for it, but I'm sure there's like record numbers of, of Democrats running for, for county level elections, which is gonna be phenomenal. And that just builds a bench so that when it comes around to challenge Ted Cruz again, there's gonna be somebody ready to do it. And there's gonna be money and an infrastructure there um, to support his challenger. And that's, that just couldn't be more exciting. Um, and Texas is one of those states where the population is growing and that just bodes so well for Democrats. And I just hope that we can continue to find ways to engage with, with these low propensity voters and, and build, build a progressive movement that, that has staying power. Um, another state I wanted to talk about, Connor, in terms of this is the state of Florida, um, where 40% uh, of their 14 million registered voters have cast their ballot already. Um, and then again, what, what's at stake? Uh, 29 electoral votes and a handful of congressional seats that are, are bound to be competitive. Um, Florida's tricky because the polling has just kind of gone back and forth. Biden seems to have a bit of a lead, um, but, but once again, I, I dare not trust a poll out of Florida and will not trust a poll, it. A poll within five points, I do not trust. Oh, like 10 points, because mm -hmm. I just don't trust it. Um, do, you think, do you think that Biden's path to 270 runs through Florida or, or not? It doesn't have to. But it gets a lot it gets a lot easier the more the more you win. So like I wouldn't be nervous if we don't if if it doesn't go blue, but yeah. I don't know. No, it depends on the other. It depends on how the other the pieces <laughs> fall. Yeah. Yeah. It would feel nice to win Florida, but there's mm -hmm. no Senate seats this year. Um yeah. which is I don't know, good, bad, I don't know. Um and then finally Tennessee, home state. Um more than 1 million people have voted so far, and every county in the state is reporting record-breaking early vote numbers, which just makes me very happy. I know Tennessee's not gonna vote for Joe Biden, um, which is sad, but there are like local candidates and like local elections that are really important. And it's, you know, Tennessee has a long road to get back to a position where we can elect Democrats again. And it does start with this record turnout and electing people to your county commission or your board of aldermen, Connor, or, or mayor or sheriff or, or you know, district attorney, yeah. whatever. And it just, I don't know, I, I'm happy with the early vote numbers. Do you have any, any closing thoughts about early voting generally? I'm glad. Well, wish it, we didn't have these lines everywhere. I wish it was easier to early vote. Um, I wish there's infrastructure was easier to facilitate a faster process and a safer process, but more people voting is always a good thing. I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah, no, no downsides for people getting out to the polls. That's right. I, I like you, I hope it goes safely. I know at my precinct, everything felt very safe. Mm -hmm. The, 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 election people were wearing like protective gear. I, everyone was wearing a mask, like gloves, hand sanitizer everywhere, whatever, um, felt good. Uh, I do wish it was easier. And I do wish um, there were ways to prevent these lines because lines can be super discouraging, especially if the, you know, the weather isn't good, um, all kinds of things. But hopefully um, the high turnout will continue. I think early voting has ended in Tennessee, maybe, or maybe it goes through next week. I'm, I'm not positive. To the 29th. Okay, good information. Maybe. Maybe. So if you're in Tennessee. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I'm pretty sure yeah. it's the 29th. I think yesterday was the last Saturday to early vote. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tennessee, if you haven't voted, go vote. 
And then you can vote on election day, November 3rd. It is uh, the 29th. Perfect. Good, mm-hmm. good information from us. Um, but yeah, I, this is good news. We rarely get good news on the pod. And here you go, listeners. This is good news. Early voting is good. Uh, please make a plan. Go early vote. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Connor, I want to turn to uh, kind of the campaign activities uh, that will take place over the next uh, week and a couple days before election day. Um, so for the for the Biden uh, Harris side, um, they have activated some key surrogates such as Barack Obama and Senator Bernie Sanders to campaign. Uh, super exciting! But, uh, Obama has given some excellent speeches on the trail. Exciting to see him back in action. Um, Bernie Sanders is working his way through the Rust Belt, uh, which I think is incredibly compelling because of his connection to labor movements in this country. Um, and then on Tuesday. Biden will be traveling to the state of Georgia, where Democrats see an opportunity to take two Senate seats that are on the ballot, as well as Georgia's 16 electoral votes. Connor, should Biden be in Georgia? Yes, he should be. He should be in Georgia. He should be in Texas. He should be in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. He should be everywhere. Well, he can only be. He, whoa, whoa, whoa. He, he can he only should be, be one place. One place at a time. I mean, hey, that jet flies fast. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's. I think it's good. I think Georgia's more competitive than it was in 2016. I don't know. I don't know his campaign strategy. I don't know his like. I think the strategy is to win. Eh, well, <laughs> shop, wow. Color me surprised. I don't know what this all was for. I, I hope this doesn't come at a cost of him being in Pennsylvania. Because I think Pennsylvania is a must-win state. And I think, I don't know if this is diverting resources there um, to throw some water on it but uh yeah those are my thoughts on georgia i think georgia has a lot to offer with its 16 votes and the two senate seats i think john nossoff and john john warnock warnock mm-hmm. they have a lot to to offer and beat purdue and loffler so yeah i i makes sense why he's going i just hope it doesn't come at a cost of using resources in states that are must wins yeah, and and this is in the in the polling environment of Biden having a plus point seven. Um, it's I might have typed it down. It's either plus point seven or plus point zero seven. Either way, Georgia's very close, but Biden might have a slight lead in polling. So a visit really could uh, gas turnout and and push him over the top. And this, I think, Connor, what what you're mentioning and what I uh, think about is the heartburn of 2016 when Hillary Clinton um, didn't visit Wisconsin um, Mm. in the final days and was instead, I think, in states like Ohio and Iowa um, trying to increase the map beyond what was necessary. And I think that will perpetually live in the memory of Democrats until until we win again. and then other campaign stops on Friday, Kamala Harris will visit Texas. Um, and that's again, in light of the Dallas morning news poll, which has them leading by three points. Again, do you think, do you think she should be in Texas? Yeah. I mean, press the advantages, I guess, but like, like you said, heartburn from yeah. when we tried to expand. I, we've probably talked about it before, but like, Neither Georgia or Texas is a must-win state for Joe Biden. It's the three, four states. He three, three, four states. He lost Michigan, Pennsylvania. It's those three states. He just needs to win those, and like, 
it's in the bag at that point. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad that that those states are in play. I'd rather have those states in play than any other like democratic leaning state. Um, right. That's that's a good that's a good optimistic point. Um, you don't want you don't want a polling environment where Biden is visiting uh, like Vermont. Michigan, yeah, yeah Vermont, like New, California. Yeah. You yeah. know what a disaster it would be if or California. Colorado. You don't want him going to Colorado, um, right? Yeah, and then, yeah. <laughs> um, and then on the Trump side, he'll be hosting coronavirus super spreader events in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Nebraska, which I found interesting, which shows. Connor, my interpretation that the Trump campaign is is very much playing defense. None of, like they're very worried about the one congressional district in Nebraska that carries an electoral vote. Um, they're worried. They're I mean this Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nebraska is not the campaign schedule of an optimistic campaign. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the strategy is in making sure you secure that one vote, but it's a it's it's signifying they think it's going to be a very close, like that could push them from 269 to 270. And right. that's a scary situation. So I hope it doesn't come down to Nebraska's first congressional <laughs> district. That would be terrifying. But again, I'd rather have that be him playing defense than having Joe Biden visit any number of blue states. So I, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, press, press the game, but I am worried. Yeah. <laughs> perpetually just perpetually yeah <laughs> and then connor one last question i didn't i didn't warn you that i was going to ask you this but just imagine for a moment that you're a senior advisor to the biden campaign and you have to you have to make his schedule the monday before election day he gets to visit one state what state is he visiting the day before election day it's pennsylvania monday, november 2nd it's pennsylvania scran all the way okay okay what is a, he okay what? No, that's that's an answer. Okay. It has to be Pennsylvania. I don't I think the margins to victory get a lot e narrower for Biden if Pennsylvania is in the column from the beginning. If we're able to declare early on in the night that Pennsylvania is blue. I think that has a lot of good like a lot of good like demographic um fat factors for other states, other neighboring northeast states. I think just like we can lock that in. I think, I think the path is good. Mm -hmm. Do you send Jill with him? Does Dr. Biden also go to Pennsylvania or does she go elsewhere? <laughs> I think you send Jill. You send Jill with Joe. They do okay. their whole thing. You okay. can send Kamala to another place. You send Barry to another. You send, okay. no, you distribute. You, you yeah, yeah, put yeah. different people in different places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone doesn't go to Pennsylvania. No, but okay. I think Jill and Joe but should be our, our, our key our key player goes to Pennsylvania. Okay, <laughs> interesting. I, I don't know what I expected you would say, but that's interesting. What, uh, do, you, what do you think? I, I'm going to send him to North Carolina. Okay. I, you know, I've said for a long time, North Carolina, that's the bellwether state this year for me. If, if North Carolina goes blue, we've got it. I'm, and not only do we, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm big on North Carolina this year. Um, Tennessee's neighbor, neighbor to the East. Um, if we win North Carolina in the, in the Senate race, the, their governor's race and the presidency, it's in the bag. Um, I think the governor's race is in the bag. Oh yeah. He, he's golden. And that's, what's giving me hope is that, is that voters 
You think they're going to be gonna Cooper be, Biden? Yeah, hand voters? That Cooper, that Governor Cooper's coattails are going to include Joe Biden and and Cal Cunningham. I, I'm big on North Carolina, but I might send Jill to Pennsylvania. Um, you've okay. convinced me. Okay. Okay. Enough. Enough of us being senior advisors to the Biden campaign. What a what a horrifying prospect. Um, My phone is waiting though. The <laughs> phone lines are open. Yeah. yeah. Joe Biden, if you're listening. Um, okay, Connor, tell us a little bit about what Mark Meadows got into this morning on the Sunday shows. Well, I just, before I get into this, or maybe after, but we're going to go with before <laughs> first, makes me wonder who in their right mind signs up to be chief of staff of this White House. The track record's not good. You lose credibility. You get ousted. Everyone who works for him, he ends up hating. And there's been like five of them before Mark Meadows saw it. I don't know what he's thinking. He is dumb. And that's why we're talking about him today. Because on, a, on an interview with Jake Tapper, he said, we're not going to control the pandemic. We're going to control the fact that we get therapeutics, vaccines, and other mitigation areas. Um, never before, I don't think, has the president in an election year waved the white flag in front of such a daunting challenge to our country. And that's it. Like, Mark Meadows is dumb, and the White House is dumb, and everyone who works around him is dumb, and they all do stupid things all the time. And this is just another example of that. They're not willing to do the hard job. Yeah, there's not a lot about this story to talk no, about, really. But just, just like, you should know, the White House doesn't have a plan. It doesn't want a plan. Because you know what? They've all gotten it, and they're all fine now. So, like, they have no concern for any of us. Yeah. On, yeah. <laughs> It's just emblematic of just such a larger corruption and rot that is just yeah. perfuming the White House. It just, it's disgusting. He's a mess. Yeah. He'll probably get fired after the election. Yeah. Um, maybe before. Who am I to say? Um, yeah, honestly, I have no other thoughts. Well, hopefully he doesn't have a job after the election. I would much rather not have him be chief of staff for joe biden well i mean in the in the interregnum between yeah. november 3rd yeah. and and inauguration mm-hmm. day in mm-hmm. which donald trump will probably be uh more dangerous than we have ever seen him <laughs> um we won't dwell on that till it actually comes to pass though um yeah unless you have more things to say about mark meadows i do not <laughs> he's dumb and he does stupid things you heard it here yep he gave up he gave up a congressional seat to become chief of staff. How embarrassing. To an administration that's fired all so of their many. other chief of staffs so and who the president hates. Just like who, who takes a job in this administration at this point? I don't know. Dumb people who do dumb things. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to be in the House of Representatives in the minority either, but I would much, I'd, yeah, both of those jobs sound pretty horrible to me. Uh, you're just losing, losing in both ways. Um, okay, Connor, some news from Pope Francis this week. Um, in a new documentary, uh, the, the Pope endorsed civil unions for same-sex couples, which is, uh, suffice it to say, a reversal in policy from the Catholic Church. Not, not big fans of, of rights for, for non-heterosexual people, um, historically. Um, conservatives in the church got really angry about this. And, but it, I, 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 thought it, I thought it was an important thing. I was taken aback when I saw it. It's, it's progress on an issue that the church often doesn't make a lot of progress on. And I think it means a lot 
um, for the leader of 1.2 billion Catholics um, worldwide to have their their leader endorse that. And it, it doesn't matter so much, we talked about this, Connor, but it doesn't matter so much in places like the United States and Western Europe where same-sex couples are facing less discrimination than they have in the past. Um, nothing perfect, but, but not it's being better. Killed. Mostly. Right. Mostly, yeah. Oh, touch, just <laughs> hard to, yeah. Um, but I think it matters in places where the church is really active, but where same-sex couples uh, face very harsh discrimination um, and death a lot of the times, especially. Like outlawed. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's illegal in a lot of places, especially in Africa and Southeast Asia. Um, so I thought that was a big deal. Wanted to share that with our listeners. And then also um, this weekend, the Pope has named Wil- Wilton Gregory, who is currently the Archbishop of Washington, D.C. as a cardinal um, for the church. And he will be the first African-American to be- become a cardinal in the Roman Catholic Church, which is really big. Obviously not the first Black cardinal because a lot of, um, a lot of Africa is represented by Black cardinals. Um, but very big to have an African-American from the United States um named as cardinal so i you know big progressive news out of out of rome this week um we don't often talk about the pope on on the pod but he did some he did some cool stuff this week so yeah i think i think pope francis as an individual is i don't so so motivating to just drag the church into the 21st century kicking and screaming yeah adding to his list of like supporting climate change and like he's taken a stance on issues that the church hasn't taken a stance of or has supported or taken a stance against yeah. the issues that the church has supported previously. And I think his papal legacy will be somewhat on par with like the reformation and maybe set the second Vatican council. I think yeah. the institutions itself might push back. It's only one man. And like you said, a lot of people in the church don't agree with the sort of like change and progress he's ushering in. But I think, I think he's, he's doing something admirable and something very historic that we won't see the repercussions of in 10, 20 years. That's, I think. yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it comes from, he's the first non-European Pope, if I'm not mistaken, it means something to have a Pope from the new world. Um, and someone who who saw uh, deep poverty in South America when he was when he was there, and yeah, I, I'm I'm very looking very much looking forward to see how the rest of his uh, tenure as Pope uh, unfolds, and and you know, hope that he just keeps pushing because because they you know, stagnation stagnation is bad for any organization. I think there's I think there's opportunity for the Catholic Church to to progress and become a become a better institution and a better representation of of christianity as a whole going to be a fascinating case study to talk about the power of institutions versus the power of an individual i don't yeah i don't know save that for your international studies research paper talk that up for my research paper (laughs) but um (laughs) yeah interesting Um, data yeah okay now connor let's turn finally to our last last section for today um, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, just a big favorite of mine, I think. Um, tell us, Twitch, tell us what's Twitch, going on with her race. Current Twitch streamer, Alexandria <laughs> Ocasio-Cortez, um, just sort of an anomaly of this race, is in the second most expensive house race in the country this cycle. 
Her challenger is John Cummins, a 60-year-old former school teacher at St. Raymond High School for Boys in the Bronx and a former officer in the New York Police Department. Um, in the last three months of reporting, he actually took in more money than AOC, raising $5.5 million to her roughly $4 million. Um, a Republican strategist said, I guarantee you 75% of his contributors don't know anything about him. The researcher said, I don't know anything about him except that he's running against AOC. The people that are interested in this race financially are giving because it's AOC. Um, Cummings said in an interview, she's done an unbelievable job of creating a national persona for herself, but has neglected the district. Find that hard to believe when she used her campaign funds to encourage people to get out to vote and participate in the census. Mm -hmm. Again, this isn't anywhere to be a close race, but it's been just a black hole of Republican money, which is always a good thing. And Fine by me. Yeah, I but I don't spend it in the Bronx. <laughs> just the animosity that AOC has created in the Republican Party, and just that's what this is. It's 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 a challenger driven by just dis disgust for what she she is, what for who she is, and what she represents as as a congresswoman and i think that's horrifying as like a political prospect but especially for the donations i don't know what what are your thoughts yeah warms my heart to see republican cash wasted um yeah aoc is not gonna lose like no i i would just wager that she will never lose an election in her lifetime um for like anything she chooses to run for like knock yeah. on wood um but she's yeah. definitely not losing this race for sure. No, no there's like, there's like actually zero chance. Um, yeah, like you said, she's used her campaign's money to get people registered for the census, registered to vote, out to vote, like all good things. And like, she represents that part of the country so well and just does, does has done such a phenomenal job of communicating uh, a progressive democratic message to people. And and that's exciting. And, and I, I'm glad, you know, I wish Republicans could, I don't know, like, I, yeah, I mean, I don't expect them to agree with her, but it's interesting to see them make such a, such a bad political calculation um, in terms of their money. Um, but yeah, I don't have a ton of thoughts. I think it's silly. <laughs> it, just crazy that, she she as an individual has created such such i don't it's not division on but just she lives in 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 republicans heads rent free and rent they free just, they just i don't know like money again like you said money wasted trying to beat her her house seat like that's never gonna happen so i don't know yeah and yeah <laughs> silly silly of the republicans to do this um yeah that's yeah go aoc she's gonna win and i can't wait um okay moving on news too dumb to be true as if that news wasn't dumb um trump said during the debate quote i know more about wind than you do if you're a believer in carbon emissions the fumes coming up is more than anything we're talking about with natural gas so piece your way through that little word vomit of the English language. Um, and so this is all, Trump has always said that he knows more about wind than any given person he's speaking to. Um, I would dare him to explain uh, why wind exists 
on a debate stage, I think that would be hilarious. Or how um, wind energy works. Oh, yeah, just energy generally, just like electric, like the production of electricity, go. And he just couldn't. Um, and he, it was just part of this big spiel about how like turbines and like cause fumes to come out of the ground, which isn't true. Like they just spin and create electricity. Um, and then he talked about how it kills a lot of birds, which I did the research. Domestic cats kill b- more birds annually than the production of wind energy. So I don't know if Republicans are anti-cat now or what, or just like pro-bird. I can't tell. Pro-bird. It's stupid. His views on climate change belong in the 19th century. Like, it's just so out of control that we have a president who won't accept this crisis. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my news too dumb to be true this week. Connor, do you have any dumb news to share? In a stunning strategy, President Trump has chosen to release the unedited, unabridged 60 minutes hit tape by, by reporter Leslie Stahl, noted resistance member <laughs> and Antifa operator, uh-huh. Leslie Stahl. Um, <laughs> right. Trump got into a hissy fit because um, Leslie Stahl said, are you ready for some tough questions? No, I'm and not. He wasn't. He, re- he, he replies wasn't. gumly. She says, <laughs> You're not okay with tough questions? Stahl laughs in response, seeming to think at first that he might be joking. Instead, the president immediately starts accusing her of biases, bias, saying, you don't ask Biden tough questions, it's terrible. On multiple occasions, Stahl has to remind him that she's not the one interviewing Biden and Kamala Harris for the same episode. It just goes on and on, I, nah, and I will, because for 60 asked, minutes. asked about what his biggest domestic priority is, Trump claims he's the greatest, he created the greatest economy in the history of our country. Leslie yep, Stahl, fact right? Check false. Leslie Stahl shoots back. You know that's not true. <laughs> There's a just he's just incapable. Uh-huh. He is incapable. And you know, once he exists outside his right wing media bubble and has to face the atrocities he's committed and just his ineptness to the job, it comes crashing down. And Leslie Stahl did it. Who would have known? It's the bangs. The bangs give her power. <laughs> Connor, I am beginning to think three years and some odd days into this that Donald Trump might not have been the best person to make president, you know? Well, three years in, I'm convinced that he may not be this politician wonder kid. I don't know. I, uh, he doesn't lots have of realizations sh- today. <laughs> he didn't, he, I'll say it, he didn't grow into the office. Oh, oh, no matter how many opinion pieces were written, Connor, we are <laughs> nine days before the election. Win, lose, or draw, he never became president. It's the second term he'll grow, Pierce. It's the oh, second term. And <laughs> I'm waiting for the Wednesday after election day. Hugh Hewitt will author an opinion piece that says exactly that if he wins. He will, those words will be written. The crisis uh, is behind us. He will become president once that's again. Right. That's right. Um, wow. Okay, Connor, your recommendation for the week. Um, to no surprise to you, unlike at previous weeks, it's Borat's subsequent movie film. <laughs> <laughs> um, I originally wasn't going to watch it until, um... I take. Well, I don't know. I, Borat never, I never, I don't know, just wasn't in my, my spectrum of movies until, um, Free Lawyer for the President, Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> what caught adjusting his microphone in his underwear on tape. Stop. Um, 
so that that perked my interest i was like what's what's rudolph up to and it's not (laughs) good nothing good not good audience not good (laughs) um yeah you you watched it what did we we watched it yeah yeah. um borat 2 uh phenomenal film very topical not safe for work um which if you've seen borat 1 also not safe for work um yeah funny like takes your mind off what's happening right now kind well, of until he gets to the second half yeah um just a real holding a mirror up to the american psyche in a very unflattering way but mm-hmm. newsflash maybe maybe it's america not flattering isn't that flattering and that's america bashing pierce and we well, will have none of no. it <laughs> um sasha baron cohen very funny so yeah watch yeah. it it's on amazon prime so yeah. check it out <laughs> Everyone has Amazon Prime. Thank you, Bezos. Yeah, yeah thank you, Jeff Bezos. Now we get our paychecks. <laughs> um, okay, well, that's, that's all we have today. Um, we'll put in two interviews after the show, per usual. Hope you've enjoyed those. We'll do those up to Election Day. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Okay, um, welcome Bethany to the Citizen's Guide. We're so glad you're joining us. Um, So if you just wanna start by introducing yourself, like where you go to college, your major, and where you're from. Uh, So my name is Bethany. I'm from Hartford, Wisconsin, which is about 40 minutes north of Milwaukee. I go to Rhodes College and I'm majoring in poli-sci. Awesome, Bethany. So what is your voting plan this year? Uh, My voting plan is not Trump basically so you know voting for biden simply because of the supreme court right now is like my biggest thing um clearly with uh barrett that's why i'm like so frustrating i mean when you see all the hypocrisy that goes into it especially when she herself said the a president shouldn't appoint in like the last year um so that's extremely frustrating so my biggest issues going into the presidential election is women's rights, uh, mostly with like reproduction rights, and as well as climate change and believing in it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, how do you plan to vote? Are you going to vote by mail, vote in person, early election day? What are, what are you going to do? Um, I'm voting by mail. I already have my mail-in ballots hanging up on my fridge. Um, as for the rest of my family, I think most of them are planning on voting in person, which not entirely supportive of that i've been trying to get them to maybe do mail-in instead just to guarantee that they'll be able to vote in like you know yeah. um which is kind of like a big i have mixed emotions about encouraging some people to register to vote and all those things because i know how they're voting and i'm like ah, i don't want you i don't want to <laughs> vote for trump but this is democracy so i have to encourage you to still be registered <laughs> to vote and to get your uh mail-in ballot so i think that's like I still like I'm sending out reminders to my friends and even my family about like this is the deadline for like getting your mail in in Wisconsin like please do it um even though I do know how they are voting (laughs) well that's that's great yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's such like a moral dilemma um yeah that answered our next question too of like what you're doing to get your your friends and family to vote um but it sounds like you're on top of it reminding them about deadlines trying to Mm. encourage mail-in voting because it's the safest way to vote um, so that's all great. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Great to, yeah, great to hear course. from you.
<laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. Also, another thing that I didn't even think about mentioning. I don't know why this skipped my head. Um, but another thing about why I'm voting for Biden is after the whole, I mean, you know, civil, like, I almost, I want to call it like another era of civil rights going on right now. Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. Especially with Trump coming to Kenosha and doing his round table here. And I was like watching it on the news and I was so disgusted with the way he mistreated people of color. And again, even with like the presidential debate, seeing him tell white supremacists to stand by, Mm -hmm. that was like, I don't know. There's like very few things I actually took away from that presidential debate because there's just so much going on. And I honestly took very little away from what Biden said, but I took the negatives of what Trump said, those few specific things that were just so ridiculous and out there and just like not denouncing white supremacy and I think especially with Kenosha like I think it really does polarize people even more here and we're already a swing state so I think it'll be interesting the way things go yeah awesome yeah thank you thank you thank you thanks for having me on bye guys <laughs> welcome Josh to the citizens guide um, would you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Um, your name, major, hometown? Sure. My name is Joshua Hill. I am a biology and history major, and I am from Louisville, Kentucky. Very cool. Yeah, thank you for joining us, Josh. Um, what is your voting plan this year? Are you going to vote by mail, vote in person, on election day? What, what's your plan? I plan to drive home early, actually, from Memphis back to Louisville, and then vote in person a week or two before election day. So what's motivating you to vote this year? It's actually the first presidential election I'll be able to vote in. I was too young the first time, unfortunately. Um, Or I guess last year, last election, unfortunately. Um, But this year, it just seems like there is a lot at stake, and it's a lot of stuff that's going to affect us and our generation. So it just feels important to get out and vote. Definitely. I I could not agree more with all of that. Um, So Josh, what are you doing to encourage other people to vote, like your friends, your family, uh, interaction on social media, stuff like that? So a lot of what I'm doing is not necessarily going up to people and telling them, hey, you need to vote, because I feel like that's being done a lot. Um, Most of it is just talking to my friends and my family about my feelings about different subjects and how that kind of relates to what the votes are going to be. And then hopefully by kind of creating that conversation, there's a way for them to feel like they should go out and vote as well. Yeah, that that's such a good point. I think, yeah, I think sometimes people feel like they're being talked at rather than mm-hmm. like having a conversation. So I think it's important um, to do that with our friends and, and make sure everyone knows how important it is to vote, but not be um, like rude about it or like push it on people, I guess. So that's, that's all very great. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm.